Universe Podcast, your source for all the latest Batman news related to movies, television, merchandise, and video games. Thanks for making the Batman Universe your ultimate source for Batman news. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe podcast, episode number 75. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... This is Melinda. This is Dave. And we are bringing you the latest movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news from the month of April, as well as a listener Q&As. And our guest host, who will be joining us a little bit later in the episode, is his name is Ian Pugh. He is a author of a book entitled The Faces of Gotham, Myth and Morality in the Dark Knight. He'll be discussing his book and also he'll be joining us for movie news. So because of that, we're going to move movie news to kind of the back half of the podcast. But trust me when I say there's plenty of other news to talk about before our guest host joins us. So with that... Let's get right into TV news, since that's what we're going to be starting with. And there's a bunch of episodes of Young Justice, but before we start talking about Young Justice, let's actually talk about some of the other TV properties. And you might be saying, well, what other TV properties are there? Well, we actually received the very first video from Beware the Batman. It came on April 18th from Warner Brothers. It's a very short teaser, less than uh, about 30 seconds long. It's basically Batman doing kind of a monologue about how villains should be beware of the Batman because the show is called Beware of the Batman. And we see the Batmobile, we see the CG. So let's talk about that video for a second. To those who would hurt the innocent... I give you this one warning. Beware my wrath. I think the premise sounds interesting, but I really don't like this animation style. I kind of wish that they had gone with a more traditional animation style. And I realize that that brings on comparisons to things like, you know, Batman the Animated Series and The Batman. But I don't think that those are necessarily bad things to have to live up to. Yeah, I completely agree. The animation style isn't something that agrees with me completely, and it's working. The traditional style is working really well in Young Justice, and I think it's something that this series could adopt. Having said that, it is a very early trailer, so it could grow on me, just depending how the series progresses and what they want to do with that CG style. Hopefully they can bring something unique in terms of visualization and everything else like that to the series. Now, the interesting thing is, as far as the animation goes, I'm... Not a big fan of CG. I've been watching the Green Lantern animated series. It uses the same style of CG that they're planning on using for Beware the Batman. And honestly, I gotta say, I, I'm not a big fan of it either. I really like the, you know, normal animation 2D that we see in Young Justice, as well as all of the other previous Batman TV shows. So, I mean, the thing is, I know that Warner Brothers is going to decide halfway through listening to people's feedback. Yeah, we're going to change it. We're going to do normal animation compared to 2D. But at the same time, I think it will grow on us. But I think ultimately what it comes to is years ago when Batman Brave and the Bold, the first teaser for that show released, I remember talking about it on the podcast. And I remember saying the big thing that we got stuck on was the jig is up kite man. And the amusing thing about that is we just could not believe how campy this TV show was going to be just based off of that one line from Batman. 
And I think ultimately the interesting thing about that is we were stuck on that one line, how campy it was going to be. It did turn out very campy, and there was a very, out of the 64 episodes total that the show produced, there was probably maybe 10 to 12 episodes that really just were really, really, really good, could hold up against some episodes of Batman the Animated Series. And I think the big thing was it was just for a different type of audience. I think the thing for this series that everyone's going to get held up as is the animation, not so much everything else. Now, along with the video, the official description came out, which we already knew the official description because they've told us this before, but it did state that, in fact, Alfred is there, Katana is actually working right alongside Batman, and it states that she is a lethal swordstress, which makes me wonder whether or not Batman is just going to let her kill people. It did say that Alfred is an ex-secret agent, which is a little bit of a twist. And, of course, it named the same types of villains that they've named in the past, such as Anarchy, Professor Pig, Mr. Toad, and Magpie. All villains that we've never actually seen in animated form. And I think that that is a good element to get more of Batman's rogues gallery, because there is so much more than what has been featured in previous media incarnations. Alright, the other bit of news that came out not related to Young Justice was... On April 25th, DC and Warner Brothers released an official press release announcing the Robot Chicken DC Comics special. In the announcement, it basically said that they're working on it. They named some of the talent that is going to be voicing some of the voices in the, in the actual special, such as Seth Green, Paul Rubens, Neil Patrick Harris, Brecken Meyer, Nathan Fillion, Alfred Molina, and Megan Fox. So all those names are kind of interesting. As far as some of the characters that will actually... Neil Patrick Harris will actually, as we know, he voiced the Music Meister in Batman Brave and the Bold. He's going to be voicing Two-Face in the special. Seth Green will actually be voicing both Batman and Robin. It's not too far stretched because he's actually voiced Batman and Robin in previous Robot Chicken episodes. And also, another name of note is Tara Strong, who's voiced a number of characters within the Batman animated series and The Batman, and most recently... In uh, Batman Arkham City, she voiced Harley Quinn. She's also going to be one of the voices attached to the special as well. I'm just over the moon about this. I think the cast that they've managed to pull together is really great. And it's it's not even necessarily actors that I would think of playing the characters. For example, they have Alfred Molina playing Lex Luthor. I, I would not have pictured that. I mean, yes, he's played villains before. I honestly think as someone who's watched him in movies, that's all I've seen him play. But it, it's still interesting to see him voice... Lex Luthor. When they first announced this, I think it was sometime last year, I remember thinking, I have to keep my eyes open. I want to hear news on this because I'm not a huge Robot Chicken fan, but I I want to see the way they skewer this. And why can't I think of his name? Jeff Johns. He's been tweeting a lot about this, too. So I, I'm not a fan of the regular Robot Chicken show, but I did really like their Star Wars parodies, which I thought were very well done. Um, and a lot of the little takes they did, you know, different things here and there about that. I thought it was very, very, very good. And I would very interested to see what they do with the DC universe in general. I like the casting of Neil Patrick Harris as Two-Face. That's, uh, to me, that's <laughs> quite amusing. Um, so I'm looking forward to this personally. I really can't wait for this to come out. It's going to be good. All right, so with that, let's get into the Young Justice episodes that aired in the month of April. There was a total of four episodes that aired in April.
very first episode was called Performance. It involves the Young Justice team going undercover in the Haley's International Traveling Circus to stop a thief who is stealing weapons. We obviously have a lot of ties to Robin being a part of Haley's Circus in the past. The thief ends up actually being Parasite, and Superboy has to use the Lex Luthor shields that he was given much later on. Jack Healy, at the end of the episode, revealed to Robin that he knows exactly who he is, and he actually knows that Robin was Dick Grayson because of his work as Dick Grayson in the circus. I really liked the episode. At first, when they revealed the mask, I was like, well, if he can just shapeshift, why does he need that? And then when the reveal came that he was Parasite and he was able to steal Megan's shapeshifting powers, I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. But... I love anything that has to do with Haley's Circus, and I, I really enjoyed the call between Robin and Wally West, where he said, you know, the reason I didn't bring you along is because you're my best friend and because you know this backstory about me, and I didn't want anyone questioning my objectivity. I, I thought that was just a really touching moment. One thing in general that I really liked about Young Justice is very similar to Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. They have a carry-on story throughout the entire arc of the series. And one thing that struck out really well to me was the Superboy arc in this, where he becomes to... It's almost like a drug addiction to the shields to make him more powerful. Um, I thought they played that off really well, as well as the ending between Jack Haley and Robin. I thought that was really good, too. All right, so the next episode aired on April 14th. It was called Usual Suspects. Red Arrow, Icon, Plastic Man, The Atom, and Dr. Fate are welcomed as the new members of the Justice League. And the Icon's protege, Rocket, she joins the team of Young Justice. They find out that Cheshire is boarding a plane and they go to get her. They find the plane crashed and they are attacked by Riddler, Cheshire, Mammoth, and Shimmer. Um, After winning the battle, they find out that the suitcase that the villains were trying to protect had some Starro biotechnology and they give it to Batman. Later, Superboy receives a message from Lex Luthor to come visit him at Santa Prisca. And this is kind of like the point where we're starting to find out who the possible mole is. Superboy is told by Lex Luthor to come. Meanwhile, Queen Bee tells Miss Martian to come to Santa Prisca. And Cheshire and Sportsmaster tell Artemis to come to Santa Prisca. And as they all get there, they all realize that they, in fact, are all the moles, but As it turns out, by the end of the episode, we find out that they already told each other about the horrible type of blackmail that they all had against them. And because of that, they actually were working together the entire time and took out the villains. This was actually where I was going to talk about Superboy seeming like a drug addict. And I think that's an interesting message that they're slipping into a show that's meant for, for fairly young kids. And I think they're presenting it in a new way, which I think is important. But the one thing that I found really really difficult to believe in this animated series of, you know, teenage sidekicks was that Robin would take on Bane by himself or that he would be able to kind of defeat and outsmart him, not necessarily by himself, but, but as easily as it happened in the show that, that kind of bothered me. But other than that, it was, it was a really great show. It, it showed the building even further of the team and how they're, they're really beginning to, completely trust each other. I completely agree with you about Robin and Bane. I mean, this is the villain that broke Batman's back in every form of (laughs) continuity we've really seen, and Robin just, like that, just takes him out, which I thought, you know, where were you, you know, back then, you know? Yeah, I I like the tying up of that whole Lex Luthor, Superboy sort of storyline that they went into there, and that reveal at the end with everyone knowing, coming together and being brought there, and finally actually 
putting an end to that. All right, so then the next episode was actually the season finale of the episode. It was called Old Acquaintance, and it aired on April 21st. This was the season finale, and it had the team arriving at the cave, and they are informed by Batman that Red Arrow, Roy Harper, is actually a clone who was replaced three years ago with the real Red Arrow, Roy Harper, and he's been trying to betray the Justice League to Vandal Savage. Just as this is happening, Red Tornado tries to infect Aqualad with some Starro biotech and it immediately shuts down. The team splits up. Aqualad, Artemis, Miss Martian, and Superboy try to track down Red Arrow, and Kid Flash, Robin, Rocket, and Zatanna investigate what is wrong with the malfunctioning Red Tornado. Once they transfer Red Tornado's consciousness to his humanoid body, which we saw in a previous episode, Black Canary shows up and attacks, but is quickly subdued. Red Tornado tells the team they need to evacuate Mount Justice, and he explains that the entire League is under the control of Vandal Savage currently. The team plot to attack the Watchtower, and they use a reverse-engineered cure for the Starro Biotech to defeat Savage and Clarion, who end up leaving very quickly after they realize that they've lost the battle. The team celebrates, and there's a bunch of romance issues. If Stella from the comic cast was here, she'd be shouting shippers. <laughs> Superboy and Miss Martian kissed. Zatanna and Robin kiss. Rocket and Aqualeg kiss. And Artemis and Kid Flash kiss. Finally! The, the odd thing that actually happened was that they find out that during the entire time that the Justice League was under the control of Vandal Savage... Six of the Justice League members, including Batman, Hawkwoman, John Stewart, Martian Manhunter, Superman, and Wonder Woman, were missing for 16 hours, and they have no idea where they were. Okay, so aside from the wordplay in the title, because there's nothing I love more than wordplay, I was not a huge fan of this episode. I'm never really a fan when the Justice League has to fight itself. I always find that really sad, because they're friends. I don't like it when friends fight, but... Finally, 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 we got the Wally West Artemis kiss. Chipper. <laughs> um, I didn't really mind this episode too much. I didn't mind so much that you had the Justice League fighting each other. I found it, I don't know, a bit odd that the main adult League members were managed to be manipulated and not so much the young Justice, but be that as it may. I actually did not mind this episode. I liked the cliffhanger at the end with the... 16 hours missing leading into the new season and opening up that whole, you know, big question mark on what happened in that 16 hours. I actually saw this. I was looking forward to watching the next episode after this. Uh, I thought they did a good job with it. All right. So then season two kicked off, and on April 28th, so we didn't even have any wasted time between season one and season two as season two kicked off with the episode Happy New Year. And the episode starts off with Batman and Robin trying to figure out what happened to the six members of the Justice League in that 16-hour time frame, but really it was just kind of like a flashback to the previous episode. The episode really picked up January 1st, five years later, which was a surprise to a lot of people, including myself. The team has a number of new members, consisting of Blue Beetle, Beast Boy, Bumblebee, Lagoon Boy, Wonder Girl, Batgirl, and Mel Duncan, and Tim Drake is actually the new Robin, and the previous Robin, Dick Grayson, is now Nightwing. Some of the original... Young Justice members, including Rocket and Zatanna, have joined the Justice League. And as of the first episode, Artemis, Kid Flash, Aqualad, and Red Arrow have not really been seen. The main conflict in the episode was that Lobo appears and is attacking a Secretary of the United Nations, General Sang, because it turns out he's actually a alien in disguise. Meanwhile, G. Gordon Godfrey is shown on his television program trying to turn the public against the Justice League. 
Back on the Watchtower, Adam Strange reports that aliens have stolen Zeta technology from the planet Ran and used it to invade Earth. To make it worse, Strange reveals that during the missing 16 hours, the Mind Control Leaguers attacked Ran's sector of space, making the entire League wanted criminals there. There are some members of the Young Justice team that are actually dispatched to Ran, while the other are set to deal with the aliens on Earth. The team that's set on Earth to find some of these aliens is led by Robin, along with Lagoon Boy and Blue Beetle. They stumble upon a massive base in, I want to say it was Louisiana, New Orleans. Yeah. And elsewhere, Superboy, Miss Martian, Beast Boy, and Adam Strange arrive on Rand. This was a very, very quick episode, and there was a lot happening. But the addition of all the new members, including Batgirl and Tim Drake, was very welcome, in my opinion. I was surprised to see the time jump. The Missing 16 Hours is going to make a great plot point for the season. I don't know if that will necessarily hold up as a season-long mystery, but I think that that's definitely going to gonna be something that is good to focus on. Adam Strange, I have always liked. I'm so excited to see him in Young Justice. I'm so excited to see him in animated form. And I, I love that they have finally kind of brought the time a little more accurate of a point, in my mind at least, where there's Nightwing and there's Tim Drake Robin. So I'm excited to see where this one is going and very excited to see what has happened to the characters that we haven't seen. I actually really like this episode as well. I was a bit thrown off a little bit with the time jump to the point where I ended up watching it again to make sure I was watching the right episode and make sure I didn't miss anything until I watched the whole thing through. I actually really like the look of Nightwing here too. Just something I did want to point out. He looked really good in this. He's actually probably the best I've seen him animated. And we get Tim Drake, which is awesome. If I can't get him in my comics every month, I like to get him in TV, which is fantastic. I'm really liking the look of the new team too, and this where this invasion story is going, and I'm actually excited to see where it's going from here. The 16 hours is going to be a good plot point for at least half the season, I think. And um, with most television shows, they usually do that half-season plot point and then twist it around and do something else to finish it all off with, and I'm looking forward to seeing where this is going. Well, there's definitely a lot of stuff that's coming up. There's also probably even more members of Young Justice that necessarily haven't been seen, especially since we haven't seen Artemis or Kid Flash or the whereabouts of the Red Arrow clone. These characters could, in fact, be in a different spot waiting for another episode or something. Something else could be happening with these characters, and that means there could be even more characters that they haven't shown, too. Now, I do remember Greg Wiseman stating that there was, I believe he said, another 64 characters that were going to be showing up this season. There was obviously a lot of characters in that very first episode, the second season that is that you know gets closer to that number as far as with all of the new members of Young Justice as well as the you know Adam Strange and some of the members of the Justice League. But needless to say, there's going to be a lot of aliens in this season. I think they said there was a total of five different alien races in this season that are going to be appearing as well. So as far as going forward, Young Justice has a number of New episodes airing in May. As of right now, when we're recording this episode, our understanding is that there's actually going to be a new episode of Young Justice every single day in the month of May. So make sure you are checking out Cartoon Network, DC Nation block of programming. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube page for DC Nation clips from some of the shorts that that aired during DC Nation. We do post those on our YouTube page, but not necessarily on the website. So check out the YouTube page as well. If you need to know where to go, just go to the website at the top. There's a YouTube spot. Our YouTube page is youtube.com slash Universe. All right, so let's get into merchandise news. 
as far as merchandise news goes, there is not a ton of different news that was announced. At the beginning of the month, at PAX East, which is a video game convention, it was announced that there are going to be some new collectibles for Batman Arkham City. You can check those out on the website. On April 10th, Mattel made an announcement about the DC lines, and they specifically said that the Young Justice toy line will be coming to an end this year, which is unfortunate for those out there, but the, the reality is it's just not selling very well, so because of that, they're going to be ending the line. They did also say that there's a number of other lines that they're going to be coming up with very shortly in the near future, so uh, we can expect those. On April 11th, DC Direct announced that they are now going to be relaunching themselves as DC Collectibles and start expanding their online offerings, including actually having an online store where you can buy DC Direct items on their store and not have to worry about going to a comic shop. The other little bit of news we've got is April 13th, there was a panel at C2E2 for DC Collectibles. You can check out the information for that. There really wasn't a whole lot of news regarding it. They were really just talking about some of the things that are upcoming. On April 23rd, there was a video that popped up from Time to Play talking about Mattel's The Dark Knight Rises remote bat, which is a remote vehicle that is shaped like the bat from The Dark Knight Rises. And then on April 27th, Mattel revealed their San Diego Comic-Con 2012 offerings. And of those, as far as the Batman universe goes is a little display with the Tiny Titans, and there is also a Polly Pocket set that includes the Gotham City Sirens, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn. So, a little bit of news here and there, but really not a ton. So, I realize that it's probably not going to be small children that are purchasing that Polly Pocket set. I just, I don't know that that's kind of the message that I want to be sent, or I would want to be sending out to a young girl. Other than that, The one thing that I think looked, or sounds really, really interesting, is that DC Direct is changing to DC Collectibles. I think it's interesting that with all the rebranding that they're doing, that DC Direct is choosing to become DC Collectibles at this point. I think it shows that they know they're in the market of something that is very collectible, that's highly desirable, and they're really making an effort to be able to get it into people's hands because quite often... If I go into a store and I haven't ordered something specifically, I can't necessarily find what I'm looking for. Yeah, I'm the same. Over here, we don't get every single bit of collectibles. You really got to go hunting for them. Around here, there's a few shops that you can go to, but you you do have to go hunting for them. So it's really good to have one place on the internet that a lot of international customers can really order from. I do like the idea of the remote-controlled Batwing. That's pretty cool. (laughs) I might pick myself up one of those and fly that around for a bit. All right, so that is all the merchandise news. Be sure if you want to check out some of the pictures or videos from this, make sure you're checking out the website on a daily basis for some of this news and the images related to some of these items as well. All right, so let's move into video game news. Let's first talk about Batman Arkham City Lockdown. It's okay to die, Bat. I'll be here to protect Gotham. That's a real good job. This is the video game that's available for Apple devices, specifically related to Batman Arkham City. A little bit different than Batman Arkham City. Well, it's a lot different. But there's a new update, and the expansion focuses on Poison Ivy. And that's all the news for Batman Arkham City Lockdown. And as far as Gotham City Imposters goes... 
there is actually a new update available as of the end of April. And the new update adds um, some new maps. It adds a couple new game modes and some voice customization. You can check out a video of the actual DLC pack on the website as well as our YouTube page. The other news related to some of the video games, we had Lego Batman 2. Where does he get these unbreakable toys? The first images of Catwoman were revealed for the game. Um, entertainment site SFX revealed not only the first image, but also some of the details about the character. You can check those out on the website. And then there's, as far as another game, Batman Arkham City. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Game of the Year edition was announced on April 23rd. That will actually be available as of May 29th. And it will include all of the DLC packs, including the newly announced Harley Quinn DLC pack, which will actually be an added bonus that takes place after the end of Batman Arkham City, revealing this is going to be a spoiler for some who haven't finished the game, but uh, it has to do with Harley Quinn dealing with the fact that the Joker is now dead. Or so we think. Yeah, or so we think, exactly. And finally, the other video game. I know there's a lot of video games related to Batman right now. On April 30th, new characters were revealed for Young Justice Legacy. There was three playable heroes that were announced, including Zatanna, Tempest, and Beast Boy. And there was three new villains announced, including Simon, Riddler, and Blockbuster. Now, there are still three playable heroes and three villains yet to be announced, and I'm sure they'll be announced in May. I know that... Justin, you said you grew to really like Gotham City Imposters, didn't you? Like, it's not necessarily a Batman game, but it is still a really good game. It's a fun game. It's, like I said, you can't look at it from the perspective of, let's play this because it has to do with Batman, because it's, like, the loose, most loose interpretation of Batman that you could possibly have. I mean, the heroes in the game are running around with guns, shooting and killing people. So, I mean, it's <laughs> as loose as it possibly could. I look at this, and... It, there was a story that, that was written, I believe it was David Hine and Scott McDaniel did the art in Detective Comics right after Batwoman. It finished, yeah. Yeah, finished. And it was basically called Imposters. And it had to do with a number of different people that were dressing up like Batman. Most of them were police officers. And then there was this Joker gang, which was led by a guy who was pretending to be Joker, but wasn't the real Joker. And the two gangs were basically clashing against each other and using a lot of violence. And initially when I heard about the game and heard that that's what it was, I was thinking, oh yeah, that has that must have to do with that comic story. But the thing is, you can go even further back and, you know, we had Imposter Batman in The Dark Knight. There's been, you know, the Joker gang in Batman Beyond. So, I mean, this isn't a concept that's that that's too far-fetched, but at the same time, the game is fun. I mean, it's it's worth playing. It costs, I think, $10, and they've already released two free DLC packs. $10 isn't going to break the bank for a lot of people. That's the basically the cost of three comic books. So I think it's worth it just to, to play, especially if you've got some free time and, you you know, you want to do something related to Batman. It's worth playing because it is, it is rather fun. Well, again, I'm not a huge... I, I'm not a game player. I just have never been, but... I think that Gotham City Imposter sounds like A, a good deal, and B, you know, if it keeps you occupied and it makes you happy, I'm more excited about Young Justice Legacy 
I think that the characters they've chosen and especially the, the six that they revealed in April, I think it sounds like it's, it's going to be a really fun time to play that, especially if you've watched the show. So I will actually look into getting that one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Young Justice and Lego Batman 2 as well. I've, I just can't wait to play those games. They're going to be fun. I'm a big gamer, and I'm also a completist, so I will be downloading both of those extra DLCs, both Batman Arkham City and Batman Gotham City Imposters, because they're both really fun games to play. I get a Duke Nukem sense of fun playing Gotham City Imposters at times. It's just sit down and shoot. It's quite fun. Kick button, chew bubble gum? Pretty much, yeah. It was yeah. without the profanity and, and, you know. Arrested Duke Nukem, but we're getting to that. <laughs> All right, so then moving right along into general news, very small amount of news as far as general news goes. On April 10th, we were sent a video interview from the Batman Live creative team. This team consists of Jeff Johns, Sam Hewen, who's playing Batman, Alan Heidenberg, the writer of Batman Live, and then Jim Lee was also there as well. You can take a look at the video on the website as well as the YouTube page. It's really just kind of, it was in the initial, you know, announcement that the Batman Live was coming to, and this was the video that kind of made the rounds around the internet as far as the four of them talking about what Batman Live is and kind of their excitement around the project. So check that out. Then the other bit of news on April 16th, it was announced from Warner Brothers that Titan Books will be publishing the official movie novel based off The Dark Knight Rises. The book is scheduled to come out in July. As we know, the movie comes out July 20th. The press release made a incorrect statement as far as the date that the movie comes out. They stated that the movie comes out on Friday, July 24th, which is not real. Most likely that was meant to be July 24th is the day that the book comes out, which would be the following Tuesday after the actual release of the film. I imagine they will not be putting this book out before the movie comes out. That would just be stupid. <laughs> just a um, Well, I can definitely say we will have it in stores before the movie comes out. We just won't be allowed to release it. Right. However, Greg Cox, I don't know if you guys ever read the the novelization tie-ins for, like, Infinite Crisis 52 or any of the other ones he did, he's done a fantastic job, and he is probably one of the biggest names in tie-ins. Just offhand, I can think I've seen his name on CSI, a couple of different science fiction series, but the big one that I always notice when it comes in is, you know, 52, Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis, and and those ones. He really does a great job of, of taking things from you know, a comic page to a book. And so I would imagine he's going to be really great at taking what he's seen on the screen and putting it to paper. So I will actually be picking this one up. I read his Infinite Crisis story. I quite enjoyed it a lot, actually. I do agree with you completely that he does a really, really good job of translating comic to novelization. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do for this story as well. And I'll be picking this up as well if we get it. <laughs> so that is all of the general news. Let's get into our listener Q&As. We only have two listener responses. For those of you interested, you can always email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast. The very first thing is a question that was posed by Max. Max stated that he's from New York. He said, Dear TBU, if you guys were to pick one villain that you'd like to see in a future live-action Batman film, who would it be? 
Well, Max, my choice would be, at this point, the Riddler, because I think a lot of the characters that Chris Nolan has done, is he's done a very good job with them, and I don't think immediately, anytime in the near future, we need to see any of those characters redone, and for the most part, a lot of those villains are kind of the top tier of characters, but I'd say the Riddler, because I think the Riddler is a much more psychologic character compared to, you know, the brute force of Bane or the menace of the Joker. I think that could definitely do a very different take on it. Another character I'd love to see, but I'd love to see done right, would be Killer Croc and Clayface. It'd be very interesting to see how someone could use those characters in kind of like the Nolan universe-esque type way where they could use the character where it seems realistic, even though they are above and beyond normal realistic capabilities. I think for me, I would really, really like to see Mr. Zaz. He's a character that, you know, obviously feels the drive to kill Uh his family members, but he kills because it's fun and he likes doing it and he is addicted to doing it. Just based on, you know, the, the psychological depths that Christopher Nolan has been able to go to in his other films, I would really love to see his take on that character and what direction he would give them and, and how he would have Mr. Zaz interacting with the rest of the world, much the same way as he took a larger-than-life character like Joker and really made it seem like, okay, yeah, that could happen. I'm, I'm terrified. That could happen. I've got two. One of them would be the Penguin. I'd love to see a darker take on the Penguin. Although Danny DeVito, I thought, did a really good job. I'd like to see him interpreted kind of similar to the way they did it in Pain and Prejudice, which was a story I personally really enjoyed quite a lot. And I would really like to see them rectify the monstrosity portrayal that Schwarzenegger did of Mr. Freeze. I think in a not so much Nolan universe, but maybe a darker sort of fantasy setting, I think Mr. Freeze could work very well as a movie villain. Obviously take out the camp. And I think like Victor Freeze's story, if anyone ever saw, uh, obviously you guys have seen um, Batman Sub-Zero. I thought that was a really, really good movie, and I thought he was a very good villain in that, and with that um, motivation done in a more realistic sort of way, but with that fantasy twist, I think Mr. Freeze would be a great villain to watch on screen. All right. So with those, the other comment that came in from a viewer was, over on the website, there was a comment that was posted on the actual episode, and it came from a person by the name of Ghost013. And they said, I really enjoyed listening to your discussion on the post-Nolan films. I thought there were a lot of good points made. I, for one, would like to see Batman Superman film. However, on the other hand, I think it would be better if you guys talked about more recent news. It's almost the end of April, and you guys are discussing March news. I found this podcast a bit boring because I pretty much already knew all the news. What might be better is to release the podcast in the early week of April instead of now. Now, Ghost 013... Yes, you kind of caught us there. We had some scheduling errors at the beginning of April due to Easter and spring breaks for some people. And because of that, we actually had to put out the episode a little late. This episode is actually being recorded on the first Sunday of May. And we're talking about April news. And this episode will be coming out on May 11th. So hopefully that's much sooner for you. But you did catch us there. That was a scheduling problem on our part. And that doesn't happen very often. This podcast does, in fact, come out most of the time the first Friday or second Friday of the month, depending on when the first Sunday falls of the month. So we apologize for that. I know there's been a lot of errors the last couple of months as far as scheduling of podcasts and things like that. 
For those of you wondering, also the award show will be coming out before the month of June as well. So that'll be something else to look forward to. And we're already in the stages of planning a new blooper show as well. So lots of things that are happening. It's just scheduling errors and everything. But we're trying to get back on schedule with everything leading up to The Dark Knight Rises and do a number of really cool and interesting things on the website as well. So thank you for your comments, even though it was finding a fault. We appreciate those as well, and I just wanted to bring that to light because I'm sure he wasn't the only one thinking that. We're also a very international podcast, so scheduling everyone's times can be a bit funny. Yes. Nick was in England, Dave's in Australia, Melinda's in Canada, and I'm in the U.S., so I mean, that's pretty, you know, stretch pretty crazy as far as time zones go as well, so that's another thing that comes into our scheduling problems as well. All right, so with that, that is all of our listener Q&As. Remember, if you are interested in asking us a question, giving us a comment or concern, email us at podcast at net. You can also leave comments in the section of the podcast on the actual episode for the previous episode, and we'll be sure to cover those on the next episode. All right, now we are going to get into our features slash movie news, and we are going to welcome our guest host for this episode, which is Ian Pugh. Ian Pugh is a author of a book called The Faces of Gotham, Myth and Morality in the Dark Nights, which kind of discovers all the different elements of kind of like the hidden things that you don't necessarily see right there on the screen or some that you do inside the Dark Knight. So welcome to the show, Ian. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell us all about your book and kind of your concept for the book as well as your idea behind creating it. Well, actually, this was my this was my master's thesis, this book, Faces of Gotham. And basically, it, it, you know, when I, when I first saw the film, it really struck a chord with me because I think the, the major themes of the film surround this sort of idea of um, iconographic supremacy. You know, the ideas of heroism and villainy in The Dark Knight and in the Nolan series so far, I think, revolves around this idea that they are pure perception, you know. And everything that I talk about, everything that I think that The Dark Knight concerns itself with has to do with that perception and trying to sort of win the hearts and minds of Gotham, you know. It's just basically about, you know, I mean, not only what is a hero and what is a villain, but how do we see them? How do their images affect us? You know, it's sort of it's sort of like, you know, in Batman Begins, Batman Begins is basically about fear and the idea that a person can conquer fear through the idea of becoming bigger within oneself. Whereas The Dark Knight, as I write in the book, is basically about realizing that images like that can be torn down and, you know, what happens after that, you know? I mean, the thing is about Nolan's films is that they're not subtle films, which is, you know, not a bad thing. But, you know, they're very straightforward, and they want you to sort of understand, try to try to comprehend how these images affect you. I think that's the, the basic uh, idea behind the book. Now, the, the interesting thing that you said is that they're not very subtle. Even outside of Nolan's Batman films, his previous films have not necessarily been... They've been kind of followed the same type of model as far as they're not very subtle films. Now, would you say that, I mean, there's plenty of people out there that have their thoughts about some of the hidden meanings inside of The Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that is a very evident thing? 
Well, like, like I said, I mean, the films go to, to great lengths to um, sort of make it seem known. And the images that it presents, there's the, the themes that it presents, I mean, are not necessarily always evident. But they all, I think, I think they all lead to that one conclusion that is sort of stated more or less in both films. You know, sort of like uh, uh, Bruce Wayne, when he first concocts the idea of Batman, how he talks about being an icon, a symbol. And then, you know, later in The Dark Knight, how, you know, the Joker talks about, you know, how, how that can all be torn down, how everything can be torn down, and how, he, and how Two-Face talks about the only morality in a cool world is chance. I mean, like I say, th- those, aren't, those aren't subtle ideas, but the way that Nolan constructs his films, he wants every little aspect of this film to build up to that one moment. I think that's, that's what the real core of it is is that subtle ideas can build up to, you know, grand gestures. So what would be, I mean, besides the distinct differences between the role of Batman versus Two-Face and Batman versus Joker, yeah. what would you say the main point between those two is? The main point between, like, between the three main characters there? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Joker's more of a, a menace, Two-Face is more of a chance so you have Batman versus Menace, Batman versus Chance, but why do you think Nolan decided to use those two characters simultaneously in the same film? Well, the thing is, I mean, yeah, I mean, it does it does sort of boil down to those those very very obvious themes, you know, like just chaos and chance. I mean, which are you know sort of one and the same, you know, the idea that I mean that's why Nolan put Two Face and uh, Joker in the, in that hospital room, you know, where I mean this this sort of birth. Of a of the sense of immorality, amorality, I should say. Just this idea that the Joker is—he's not necessarily a villain. He's more of a force of nature, and whoever can, you know, whoever falls into that, like you know, Harvey Dent falls into that force of nature, and he doesn't necessarily subscribe to the Joker's worldview so much as he sort of understands how much of a how much of a facade he's always been. You know, I mean, the, the thing is about Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight is that he has always been very, like, very obsessed with this concept of fairness. You know, like, sort of like the scene where he is, he's interrogating Thomas Schiff and he's using his, you know, his unscarred coin to pull, like, information out of him. But the problem with that is, is that Harvey Dent is operating by this idea that he will always be in control. You know, he'll never play the game without a stacked deck, you know? And what the Joker basically shows him is, is that that's just not how the world works. And, you know, it, it sort of descends into a very unfortunate, you know, it, it, it becomes very chaotic. And where Batman plays into that picture is that, I mean, he, you know, he thinks that, you know, he thinks that he needs to do what has to be done. Batman thinks that there are certain lines that can't be crossed while at the same time crossing those lines. So it just the Joker is basically there to show everyone that their own image of themselves are, are facades, basically. Okay. Now, just for people out there who are interested in your book, just yeah. give them a, a taste of the breakdown of the actual book, what you kind of discuss, what you go over as far as The Dark Knight. Well, like I say, when I say that everything in this book, you know, everything in this book, everything in this film, you know, it leads up to this one major core. I mean, that's that's basically my approach to the book. I basically look at all these little details and I, I you know, I, I, I try to build everything up. Like you'll notice in the, in the film, 
there are a lot of characters who wield shotguns and who are summarily, you know, disarmed or, you know, otherwise rendered impotent. Just to basically illustrate the fact that these constructs, these believable, tangible constructs are not necessarily, are not necessarily, you can't depend on these. You can't depend on these ideas. And, you know, I, I basically split the book up into three major sections, each, each one basically divided up by act. And, and, you know, and the character who basically dictates that act, you know, Batman dictates the first, Joker dictates the second, Two-Face dictates the third, as this ideological understanding comes about throughout the film. I have a question. Do you think yeah. that the, the destruction of the symbol of the Batman at the conclusion of the third act in some way kind of represents that, you know, we, we can hold on to these symbols as long as we want but they aren't necessarily able to protect us in their current form at all times. Like, is there something to be said for the transformation of a symbol in a person's mind? Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, like, like Batman says at the end of the film, you know, sometimes people deserve to have their faith rewarded. But at the same time, I think, I mean, I think this is a major crux to understanding the film, is that can't always, you can believe that, but at the same time, it's not always the way that things are going to go. You know, I mean, here's the thing is that Batman will, I mean, no matter how he looks in the eyes of Gotham, whether he's a hero or a villain in this next film, is that he crossed a line. He crossed a line that, you know, I mean, you can't take that back. You know, I mean, people will still believe that Harvey Dent died a hero, but that won't change the fact that he killed a lot of people. I, I mean, iconography, the image itself is perhaps all that matters is what keeps us going. But at the same time, there's a darkness that can't be erased. So, I mean, and that's a good point. That kind of is a perfect leeway right into the news related to The Dark Knight Rises because we're going to talk about the trailer towards the end of movie news because the newest and last full trailer has actually been released. So let's go over uh, the movie news for The Dark Knight Rises for the month of April. On April 9th, Dark Knight Rises received a PG-13 rating. That's not really that big of a surprise. The rating is specifically for intense sequences of violence, action, some sensuality, and language. Not really a surprise that the movie receives a PG-13 rating. I don't think anybody was surprised by that. The next bit is on April 23rd, just about three months to go before the film actually is in theaters. And there was an interesting quote from Michelle Pfeiffer in Empire Magazine about Anne Hathaway as Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises. And she stated, oh, I think she's great. I'm actually very much looking forward to seeing her in the role. I'm a big fan of hers, and I think she has everything you need for that role. She has the humor. She can go to dark places. She obviously is very talented. I think she's going to be really good. Then also on that same day, there was the announcement that the new trailer for The Dark Knight Rises was going to release along with The Avengers, which ended up being partially true. But then the next day, The Dark Knight Rises was at CinemaCon, and Warner Brothers showed off along with Chris Nolan and his wife Emma Thomas about five minutes of footage from The Dark Knight Rises. A lot of this was from previous trailers or the prologue, but the description from Entertainment Weekly stated the following. The clips began with an extended scene of Bane, played by Inception's Tom Hardy, and his crew hijacking a plane in an innovative way. 
Then it cuts to a series of shots showing Christian Bale as an aging and perhaps ailing Batman. This film is set eight years after The Dark Knight. Bale has sunken eyes, he looks pale and haggard, and he uses a cane. By comparison, Michael Caine's Alfred appears as if he hasn't aged a day. Don't worry, Master Wayne, the butler reassures him later in the footage. It takes a little time to get back in the swing of things. Anne Hathaway's Selena Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman, is a maid working in Wayne Manor. On screen, she is nearly skewered by a crossbow arrow Bruce appears to be firing in his dining room. Nolan doesn't include much dialogue here, but we see the maid leaving the mansion and peeling off her uniform as her demeanor changes. There are several shots of Joseph Gordon-Levitt prowling through the decimated city streets with gun drawn. Exactly how this Gotham cop John Blake fits into the story remains under wraps, though. As Bale sports the bad ears and Hathaway dons the cat ears, the two costume characters confront each other. You've given them everything, she says, and he replies, not everything, not yet. Just what this means, what goal she's working toward, or who exactly them is, is left mysterious. An explosion seals off downtown Gotham, allowing an army of infiltrators, or maybe just the dispossessed, to lay waste to the privileged class of city, while police and even Batman are helpless to stop it. Unlike many popcorn blockbusters, The Dark Knight Rises is unafraid of civilian casualties of the villain's plot. So that was their description of the footage. I I am just... I'm very excited by the interaction that they describe with the crossbow in the dining room, but even more so about Joseph Gordon-Levitt prowling the streets with a gun drawn. Because, as we've always speculated, we don't really know who John Blake is. I mean, he is a canon character. He did exist in the comics, but he was in one panel. So this is someone that they can use however they want. Well, Henri Ducard was also a character. Let's not forget. Yeah? Who knows what he might turn out to be. I mean, the thing is, the way that I see The Dark Knight is that The Dark Knight sort of ends the way that The Long Halloween ends. In the sense that, you know, it's a new, it's a new era. It's a new world. It's not, you know, it's not mob rule anymore. It's, you know, these, you know, a new class of criminal, as the Joker says. And mm-hmm. I really do believe that, I don't know, I, I just have a hard time believing that Bane w- will be the real crux of that. Maybe, you know, there, there'll be more. I mean, the way that the Scarecrow is presented in The Dark Knight is that he's a man on the run. And I think when the Joker comes in, the Joker changes everything, and this is this is going to be a, a city ruled by icons. So I, I really do believe that there may be more than just Bane and Catwoman. But then again, the eight-year span might show for something different. Well, Liam Neeson is meant to be coming back. Well, I mean, they haven't really revealed yet as to whether it'll actually be Ra's al Ghul returning from the dead or if it'll be a, a flashback. I'm hoping he'll return from the dead, but we'll just have to see. That would be pretty cool. Going back to the Michelle Pfeiffer interview, just completely off topic, I'm seriously getting a big kick out of them interviewing all the, the people that used to play these characters for the media. I'm waiting for them to pull out like a Robert Swenson interview to see what he thinks Tom Hardy's Bane is going to be like, in all honesty, because he did such a good job in Batman and Robin. That's uh, that's quite amusing. No, that's seriously the first <laughs> thing that popped into my head. Like, I'm just like, you know. I was just going to say, I think the reason they keep going back to Michelle Pfeiffer is just because she's been so supportive of Anne Hathaway. Like, from the start. No, I know, but it's the same thing month after month. It's just, I had an acquaintance of mine that saw this footage at the con, and the first thing he said was that Bane's voice was great. You can actually understand it, um, had the good accent onto it, and he said nothing but praise for it, too. Based off of what I saw, I mean, I saw the prologue in December when they had the viral marketing campaign for that, but compare Bane's voice to the prologue, or even the first trailer that was released, to what they have now 
this newest trailer, which we'll talk about in a second, there is a distinct difference. They did a much better job of making it so that you can hear him a lot better. And it just goes back to what they were originally saying where it was, well, this isn't the final cut of what his voice is going to sound like in the first place. This is just what we have as of right now. So his voice does sound a ton more clear than it did in that initial release of the prologue back in December. Also, I just have to say, it might be impossible for them to get an interview with Jeep Swinson because he died in 1997. Oh, did he really? I did not know that. Yes, shortly after the release of Batman and Robin. I honestly did not know that. All right, so then the other bit of news related to The Dark Knight Rises is the biggest news. On April 30th, there was a new viral marketing campaign that kicked off. If you went to the official website for The Dark Knight Rises, there was a file that popped up on screen that said Anonymous Vigilante Investigation. As you open the file, you see a warrant to arrest the Batman, along with a wanted form and a memo to the police department stating exactly why and how they're going to apprehend Batman, followed by a number of pages listing locations from around the world. And eventually, as the campaign went on, this list of locations actually led people to small bat symbols at the locations that they stated on this memo. And viewers were supposed to take a picture with their phone or email it to a specific website that was posted on the memo. And in turn, the once the picture was uploaded to the site, a frame of the new trailer was actually revealed. Our former co-host, his name is Ryan, he used to be on the normal cast a while back, about two years ago. He actually took an image of one of the locations in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we have that picture on the website for you guys to check out to kind of see what it is. But eventually, as time progressed, the website updated, and there was, at the very back of the file, there was a picture of an evidence bag that was full of film that was specifically the pictures that everyone took. Now, these small images were actually put together, and when you clicked on the bag of film, there was a player that made it seem as if all of those frames were sliding through the player, and then it loaded up a new site that showed you the actual new trailer. So we're going to play the audio from the new trailer so you can take a listen. Obviously, if you haven't seen the trailer, you can check it out on the website as well, but we're going to play the audio real quick and then discuss it. There's a storm coming. You sound like you're looking forward to it. I'm adaptable. What are you? I'm Gotham's reckoning. Members. 
the Dwayne family. You don't owe these people anymore. You've given them everything. They warned me about getting into cars with strange men. This isn't a car. All right, so that was the new trailer. Definitely some new footage that we haven't seen before. Some of the things that they showed at CinemaCon, they definitely had in this trailer, such as the conversation between Catwoman and Batman about her saying, you've given them everything and he says not yet that was in this trailer like i said bane's voice is much much clearer in this than the the prologue you can actually understand everything very clearly what bane has with obviously an accent um, but it's still believable that he is in fact wearing a mask over his face we saw the old sunken faced batman we also saw that batman's in in a prison and bane is telling him that the reason he didn't kill him was he has to suffer so the question is, is he suffering because he broke his back or is it because Bane has locked him into this prison? I just, I am losing my mind over this trailer. Even though, yes, it's just recuts of some of the scenes that we've already seen in previous trailers, the context to them just seems to be a lot different than the last time we saw them. Selena Kyle telling Bruce Wayne, you know, you have to batten down the hatches. Or the conversation that takes place during what we assume is that scene. The context to that seems to be totally different. And I, I think that the scene between Alfred and Bruce, where he says he's not going to bury Bruce, he's buried too many members of the Wayne family. I'm curious as to when that takes place. You know, has Batman been injured? Is Bruce considering giving up and just dying? What's going on there? To me, it, it almost raises more questions than it, than it does provide answers, which obviously a good trailer should. But there's so much that leaves me just wanting more in this. Absolutely. I'm really curious as to the specific chronology myself, just the idea that, you know, I mean, when Batman goes away, when he when he leaves, I mean, he seems to be missed in some regard. You know, I mean, when John Blake is talking to the kid, you know, I mean, the, the kid obviously doesn't see him as a villain. You know, when does Batman come back? When does he have his back broken? It's going to be an odd turn of events, I think, just to, to, to understand where he goes from villain back to hero, if it even happens. Yeah, I, I mean, I was trying to figure out the chronology all the way through this, you know, and then trying to figure out, you know, the meanings of what they were saying in the context of what they were saying it in. You know, does he get his back broken? Does that mean he's going to sacrifice himself? You know, when he's having that conversation with Selena saying, you've given them everything and he says, not yet. You know, does that mean, oh, is he going to sacrifice his life to save the city? And, you know, go back to that conversation we had before about symbolism and everything else like that. It raised a lot of questions for me personally, and I've watched the trailer about 20 times and, I'm, you know, trying to analyze it in my own head. There was a couple of other things that popped up in the trailer, too. John Blake, obviously, has a large role in this film. Regardless of what they've said, he's just a beat cop in Gotham. He has a large role. I mean, he was featured pretty prominently in the trailer, and for a character who 
is not prominent, can't imagine why he would be featured so much in the trailer. Selena Kyle obviously was featured a number of times. There's actually a conversation between John Blake and Selena Kyle about whether or not Bruce or Batman was dead, and Selena Kyle states that she doesn't know. Now, that's not to say that they were talking about Batman and Bruce. That's an assumption that I'm making, but that's what I imagine they were talking about. Going back to that con footage that we talked about just a few minutes ago, and Bruce walking around with a cane, I'm almost wondering if Batman does get his back broken, and if he does recover, I'm wondering if that's not maybe a scene from the recovery, with Alfred saying it takes a while to get back into the swing of things. So you're saying that he'd still be on the beat as Batman while being hunted by the police, but it'll take having his back broken to be so completely spiritually broken. Yes, I think think that's what I was thinking too. And speculating, that could be where you insert the, you know, the race Al Ghul appearance possibly then too, with like a flashback into the training days and stuff like that, and maybe draws on that mentally to pull himself back up. Speculating, of course. Well, I mean, I was sort of wondering, I'm the, I'm the subject of race Al Ghul and of Bane. I mean, I was, I was sort of wondering how, how fantastic Nolan is going to go with this grand finale. You know, I mean, if, if, he's really going to have like a super pump vein on Venom and whether he's actually going to have a supernatural element with Rachel Ghoul coming back from the dead. I mean, I, I think, I mean, he has chosen much more down to earth villains in the past, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just curious to see how, how big he's going to go. I think the other thing that's interesting about this is how will this actually end? Will Batman die? Will he give his life? Is that why they say when Catwoman says you've given these people everything and he says not everything, not yet? I'm really wondering if he's saying that because he hasn't actually died and he hasn't given his life for the people and if that's what he's referring to. Because I think that would be, I mean, that would definitely put this movie in a completely different category than all the other superhero movies by killing the main superhero, but I don't know whether or not they would actually go that far. Well, the thing is that Batman is not a character who has been suited to finales, you know? I mean, he's been around for for so many years, and there's always going to be a next adventure. You know, it's not the case with Nolan's Batman. They might reboot it with a new director. They will reboot it with a new director. But nobody's really put like such a such a definitive end to any saga in Batman, you know. Well, and we already know that Christopher Nolan does not have a problem with killing off even people who, in the comics, just never seem to die. He killed Two Face. Two Face is dead. So I guess it's not outside the realm of possibility that he would say, "No, in order for this to be complete, for Gotham to understand the sacrifice." Batman has to die. Bruce has to die. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with Nolan is he wants to put a real emphasis on this idea, especially now. He wants to put a real emphasis on the idea that there is no Bruce Wayne. I think that previous adaptations haven't quite captured that. But Nolan has really understood the idea that there is no Bruce Wayne. There's only Batman. Like, in The Dark Knight, how he basically sacrifices his own secret identity for the sake of someone who's going to squeal on him, basically. It's much clearer about that. The other thing I just have to throw out there, which I thought was kind of cool, was the actual, the little chalk mark of the Batman. Mm-hmm. It's almost to me as if it's a symbol of, could be a symbol of hope, but also a symbol that, you know, Batman isn't gone when he, in fact, is gone. And that's, that they played that clip of the chalk Batman right before the clip of the boy asking John Blake whether or not he was gone. And Blake says... 
you know, he, he doesn't know if he's coming back or not. Which, you know, again, you know, leads me to believe that there's some kind of a resuscitation of image between, you know, the end of the end of the dark night and that particular moment, which, I mean, I assume is probably during some sort of confrontation with Bane. Because, you know, I assume that, you know, the sons of the Batman have long disbanded by now. And narratively, Batman is going to have to find some way to resuscitate his image. Yeah, I'm interested to see kind of if we get told what's been going on in the last eight years and stuff and to see, you know, how much of a pounding his image really has taken between the end of The Dark Knight and the start of The Dark Knight Rises. I'm also interested to see Bane in general and how he's going to come across. I mean, he's kind of portrayed to be like almost, he comes across to me like almost like a revolutionary sort of thing. And and I I actually notice a symbolism in, in not only like the almost French revolutionary style coat that he wears to how he kind of carries himself and the bits and pieces of how you hear him speak. It's like he's leading a revolution in his mind, you know, to free like the rebels of Gotham. So almost what I got out of him anyway. I mean, at the same time, I'm still curious. I, I, I still don't know if he's going to be the guy behind it. I mean, it's sort of like that, that scene in the in the new trailer when they, it looks like they're almost sort of releasing him in a regard. You know what I mean? They're like revealing him to the world. Like somebody's pulling the strings behind him. Uh, just that's, just, that's the feeling that I get. I think that, that probably plays into some of the other rumors that have been out there as far as Miranda Tate not actually being Miranda Tate when it's all said and done, which there was a scene in the trailer also where Miranda Tate was shown kissing Bruce Wayne, and, you know, that could play into more of a, you know, if Miranda Tate is in fact what some of the rumors have stated, you know, she could be Talia al Ghul playing into the, you know, Ra's al Ghul from Batman Begins and the fact that we know Liam Neeson's going to appear either in a flashback sense or we know he's appearing in the movie, so... With that, I mean, there could be a lot more to it than Bane just being the main person doing this entire thing. Well, I mean, I mean, there's also a major theme with Nolan's Batman films in the sense that there's always somebody, like, who's slightly out of control. You know, I mean, technically, I mean, you know, Joker approaches the mob, but at the same time, the mob releases the Joker, in, in a sense, you know, gives him the resources that he needs to do what he wants. And, you know, so it could be very well true that Bane is rogue. In some regard. And the last thing I want to bring up is there was a scene where they showed a number of bridges in Gotham City being blown up. If you were paying real good attention, it wasn't just one bridge. It was actually all three bridges in that shot that were actually blowing up as kind of a sign that they were, you know, closing Gotham off from the rest of the world. And it kind of goes back to that map that was sent to us exclusively from Warner Brothers as far as the attack map that Bane has, and actually on that map, which you can still see on the website, we have that on the site. You can actually see that it shows on the map all of the bridges being blown and kind of the response times of the police department and things like that as they actually get to the point where they are, you know, shutting Gotham away from the rest of the world. I definitely noticed it was more than one bridge when I watched the preview. I didn't notice all three, but if... That's Bane's doing. I mean, obviously, it's really smart. They're an island city. Cut them off. And it, it definitely lends to some of the other images that we've seen where the city doesn't necessarily look deserted, but it looks like it's been looted and people have kind of gone wild in the streets. So it definitely lends to some of those images that we've seen. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I did notice the, the three bridges on my second or third viewing of the trailer. The other thing I did notice with the new trailer as well is when they're doing the stadium explosion scene, 
There's a scene they cut right to straight away where Gordon and the police are coming through, uh, and it looks like possibly even underneath the stadium, which could tie right into the first trailer where Gordon is in hospital. There could be a clue as to how he gets injured. He might have the stadium cave in on top of him. Well, that's another thing is that I'd really like to know what we're going to be talking about in terms of Gordon being a hero, a wartime hero. If there's going to be, if he has become an icon, like in the same way that Batman or Joker or Harvey Dent did, if maybe somebody's going to take a shot at him. I don't know. That's what I was thinking when I first saw that hospital scene. All right. So Dark Knight Rises comes out less than three months away, July 20th, in theaters everywhere. So... Obviously, we're going to be talking a lot more about The Dark Knight Rises as we get closer. I just want to let everybody know uh, Ian's book, The Faces of Gotham, Myth and Morality in the Dark Knight, is available not only in physical form, which we'll post links for all the different forms it's available on on the website under general news, but the book is available in physical form as well as for the Kindle and the Nook, so you can check that out on the website as well. Ian, I want to thank you for joining us. Great, great insight into not only The Dark Knight, but also The Dark Knight Rises. Right, thank you very much for having me. I, I also wanted to mention that I just put up a new Facebook page for the book, which is facebook.com slash Faces of Gotham. Okay, so you guys can check that out as well. So that's everything for this episode. Be sure to head over to the website for all the daily news related to movie, TV, merchandise, video game, general, and of course the comics as well. You can check out our number of other podcasts related to everything from comics to interviews, to specials, and you can head over to the website and join our forums and chat with other Bat fans. Just be sure to send us an email letting us know that you need your account activated, and we will be sure to activate your account. In addition, you can always email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns. And you can always follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We've made it pretty simple for all of them. It's facebook.com slash thebatmanuniverse at Batman Universe on Twitter and YouTube.com slash The Batman Universe as well. So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Melinda. This is Dave. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Keep calm and call Batman. I hate the flu. (laughs) 